You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. <laughs> <laughs> I got the glasses. You guys, I made a quiz. No, I didn't bring anything, but I'm here to have fun. <laughs> Hello again, and welcome to the official Broadway Sid podcast where we're drunk on theater. I'm your host, Brian Plofsky, and in some other life at the prom, I felt safe with the stuff. I'm no angel of mercy over the murder of Mary's death, but I've got to tell him the truth. The bed was not my own. Can you beat rock with rock? Well, if you listen to the music, Tom, then maybe the orgy will be less about the story of my life and more like I got a little time. This isn't a silent movie, but a brownie song down at the old five and dime. If Romeo and Juliet didn't listen to Jesus, Jimmy, then why would we kiss? Once, <laughs> Jim, once Jimmy takes a hit, well, it's a montage time for a lonely few. Joining us, pew, but I change it to pew. Joining us today are the usual reefer madness morons who are the first to dream, including Kevin, mistress of the senator, Jager. That's the perfect one. So, uh, Kimberly, Kimberly, our little Mary Sunshine game master and unofficial babysitter for the hour. And with us today are, of course, the ones that we love. Hashtag Tammy of the show, Haley, Mary Jane Pachoon. What? <laughs> yes. And Aaron J. Mary Lane Albano. Yes. Yes. But we have another returning guest. You know him from this podcast, his amazing cabarets and Broadway records and probably Twitter. Let's give a big broad waist of welcome to friend of the show. Friend of the show. Of the show. Robbie Roseanne. You ready for this? Hey! Hi. Thanks for joining. Robbie, you're also doing a diff- another podcast as well. Did you want to shout out that? Oh, yeah. Uh, we just, uh, Rob Schneider and I started a podcast called Cake Card Revoked, uh, which is, we are schooling the children in all the things <laughs> that they should know to have their gay card because uh, we were at Maison Pickle, uh, like um, when it was open. 
Uh, <laughs> and our the cute twink waiter, uh, we were talking to him. And he's like, oh, my God, I love you. I saw your show at 54 Below. And I was like, oh, my God, am I having this soap dish moment? And he looked at me with sweet Bambi eyes, had no idea what I was talking about. And so we created that podcast. That's great. <laughs> For a second, I thought you said Rob Schneider, like Rob Schneider from... Nope. <laughs> from many, 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 oh, many movies. Adam nope. Sandler movies? Deuce Bigelow, nope. male gigolo? Oh, uh-huh. Uh-huh. Hello Making again? copies. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um... But uh, so this week we are doing history, uh, but make it theater. And before we move to Kevin and, and Kevin leads this conversation, let's start with what are you drinking? Guest, Robbie, what are you drinking? Always with the broad wasted friends, I only have a Negroni. Yay! Thank you. Kimberly? Oh. I have whatever rosé was in the fridge. Yeah. <laughs> Divine. Is there anything better than fridge rosé? No. <laughs> what other kind is there? There isn't any other. I mean, you really shouldn't fridge. serve it if it's not fridge rosé. <laughs> fair, fair. Haley? Um, I've got my canned Paloma cocktail. Oh, nice. Oh. Right, I need to try that. Kevin? So good. I have... Uh, Raspberry White Claw. Beautiful. I was like, did you freeze? <laughs> I know. <laughs> did you forget what you were drinking and it's in your hand? Yeah, I kind of had a moment. Yeah. Were you also uh, thinking that your hands look too big for that can? Uh, the claw around the white I, claw? I just, I, yeah, I just had a moment. <laughs> um, and uh, Aaron? Uh, I'm changing up my normal Cab Sav and I, I bought... I bought Popeyes yesterday, but to change it up, I saved the Fanta that came with it. Yes. So I have Fanta and tequila to make Ooh. a fanquila. Great. Wanna Fanta? Don't you wanna wanna Fanta? Um, and uh, Ryan, what are you drinking? I'm drinking uh, Tonteo tequila. Uh, it was on the rocks, but now it's not with um, uh, lime seltzer. Yum. So let's uh, let's get into this. Um, Kevin uh, had us uh, watch his movies. He'll go through those. Um, However, before we start, I just want to remind everybody um, that Hello Again is an 18 plus film. Uh, You can it's actually unrated, which we'll probably talk about, um, but it is noted as 18 plus on Amazon Prime, by the time you're listening to us, you've probably watched already, and hopefully you didn't watch with your parents. However, <laughs> um, uh, I will say that we are the movie includes a lot of mature uh, circumstances. It's for mature audiences, um, and we'll be talking through those. Uh, so with that being said, Kevin, take yeah. us to class. All right. Okay. So this week, um, I chose my four decisions based on like the theme of like studying history. And so like history in different ways. So like we have like history of Latin American culture. We have history of uh, like with Hello Again, we're kind of seeing like how the time periods have moved. Um, and then with the concert, Kander and Ebb, we're seeing like the history of like one of the greatest uh, composing teams in musical theater. And then we'll talk about in Patreon, the uh, history of not just the marijuana industry in the world, I guess, but also just the history of um, that kind of like a shock movie. So we'll talk about all that too. 
Um, so the first one we're going to talk about is Hello Again. Um, Hello Again is a 2000, this is a 2000, and, oh God, where is it? 17. Thank you. 2017 film. Love uh, it is an American musical film directed by Tom Gustafson. And it is based on the off-road musical, the same name by uh, John Michael, or Michael John Lacusa. It uh, stars a bunch of Broadway names that we all know, like Audrey McDonald, Martha Plimpton. Uh, and then there's people like T.R. Knight and Rumor Willis for more like TV and family fame. Um, so it's a very interesting cast and it's a weird show. So the first thing I want to ask is we're going to go around the circle. Uh, we'll go Brian, Kimberly, Aaron, Haley, Robbie, and we'll say what experience or uh, connection you have with Hello Again itself before seeing the movie. So Brian, you're going to start? Sure. Um, I have never seen this film before this viewing. I knew it existed. Um, uh, however, I just had never seen it. My, my, um, I have listened to the Hello Again cast album uh, many, many times. I find mm -hmm. it incredibly interesting and thematically challenging. Um, and uh, I really enjoy the music. It's quite haunting. So I've listened to that a couple of times. Um, however, in college, um, I did a scene from The Blue Room which is a version of Hello Again. Um, and uh, so I did a lot of research, you know, when I was, you know, doing the scene study stuff um, on not only that, that play, the musical and the play that it's originally based on. Um, so I, um, but I'd never seen this movie. So this was definitely, I'm, I came in very informed before having seen the movie. Perfect. Uh, Kimberly? Um, all I knew is that a bunch of people I follow on Instagram were in this movie when it came out. <laughs> and for like a week, I was like, oh, I should watch Hello again. And then I never did until last night because I was warned to watch. I will say, Kevin, that this week was um, a study in movies you shouldn't watch with your parents during quarantine. So <laughs> I, mean, I didn't think anything of it, but I'm also quarantined alone in my studio. So like... <laughs> That was a different <laughs> for me. Yep. Like, I think I'm like a little desensitized, but I just don't, I didn't think that there was that much adult material in this movie until you guys brought it up. And then I watched it again today before we recorded, and I was like, I mean, I guess, but like, we'll get to it. But I, I, I have my thoughts. Aaron, yeah. what do you. Anyway, uh, I watched it last night at midnight, and then I fell asleep halfway, like half an hour before the end. And then I had some very weird dreams and I finished it. <laughs> amazing. That's amazing. Uh, Aaron, how about you? Um, so I remember, so my first experience with this show, I didn't know anything about it, but I remember going to college and it being very popular among the student body. I in feel like 70s. it was in, in the 45s. Yeah. Um, no, like, but like, I remember... Like, when I got to school, I had never heard of the show, and all the juniors were, like, all up singing all the vocal selections from the entire show. I remember many classmates singing the... I don't know what it's called, but Rumor Willis sings it in the, sh in the show. Um, my, my, Tom. Uh, my life story? Tom. Um, Tom, Tom sounds right. Tom. There you go. Yeah. It sounds amazing. Yeah. <clears throat> um, and then I remember... I don't know what show I, what movie I saw, but I saw this um, trailer mm. for that for that musical movie, and I was like, "Oh, I remember that. I should see that." And then never did, and so I was happy 
that you assigned it. So I got to see it. Awesome. Uh, Haley? Um, the appropriate word that I will be using of my viewing of this was I was a virgin to it. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> am I becoming Brian with my puns? That's amazing. Um, I was a total virgin so much that I didn't even know it was a musical before. That's great. I thought, because again, I don't know anything if I haven't been in it. So um, I... Didn't even That's know. still a lot that you know. I was going to say, you've been in 18,000 musicals. <laughs> um, so I thought it was a whole original movie. And then Aaron had to tell me that it was not. And I was like, oh, okay. Um, and it was really fun to see a lot of my friends in this movie. Amazing. And uh, Robbie, I, I saved you for last specifically because you have a really fun connection to this. Well, I'm a, a hello again whore. <laughs> what I am. Um, like the I, character I, that like runs the through line. <laughs> well, weirdly, because I yeah. had I had two cats like when I was like 20, and one's name yeah. was Carrie White, and one's name was Leocadia, which is of course <laughs> the whore's name. Yeah, yeah. You're welcome because I love that cast album so much, and I could just listen to Donna Murphy say Leocadia. Forever, forever. <laughs> so, and then um, the the film soundtrack is actually on my record label, Broadway Records. So I did not see the film before I designed the cast, uh, the soundtrack, but um, was very excited about it. And here we are. Oh, I love that. So for those of you guys who watched it, just kind of summarize, the show is kind of a like daisy chain of, storylines that sort of loop together just by that there's archetypal characters that people play the whole time. So there's one character playing the whore, one's playing the soldier, one's playing the nurse, one is the college boy, there's the young wife, the husband, the young thing, the writer, the actress, and the politician. So these are like the main characters that like, it's like a, a nurse in 1920, whatever, and then like a nurse in 1950, whatever. So it's like seeing how these people archetypally react in each place um and each of the vignettes is different characters being paired together and um a lot of these vignettes we'll just go ahead and jump into it a lot of these vignettes have um what i has been deemed by the group adult material like uh there's a lot of sex that happens in this uh show so first of all let's just talk about how like we felt about like how that was presented um, the adult material throughout the thing and how you felt that that translated in a, a movie. Uh, we'll first go to Aaron. Well, before we start, can I ask a question? Because I'm not familiar with the original production of the show. <clears throat> For the movie, were, were were some of the roles gender swapped to make it? Yes. Because yes. Okay. I wasn't sure if the young thing also. was a change. Yeah, good, continue. Can I share my research? <laughs> sure. Go. Um, when I was explaining the show to Jay afterwards, he goes, oh, it's a La Ronde. And I said, it's a what? He goes, it's an improv thing where like two people and then the next one goes into the next scene. And so I looked up the phrase La Ronde and that's the play that this is based on. La mm -hmm. Ronde. Oh, cool. And so if you look at the vignettes of that play, it's the whore and the soldier, the soldier and the parlor maid, the parlor maid and the young gentleman. And it's slightly different, but the... But basically the same. Yeah, but Lacuse a gender swapped the young thing was Little Miss. So it was mm. all heterosexual in Laurent, and then it 
changed for the CUSA. Oh, but the CUSA gender swapped the thing. Not the, they didn't gender swap the, swap the politician. But then there were things that were gender swapped in this film, Robbie. If you correct, want to yeah. That. So, like Martha Plimpton's character, the senator, was John Dossett in the stage show, oh. uh, right? And the whore was Donna Murphy, Leucaria, um, and was gender swapped into oh god, what is his name? Who plays the whore? Sam, uh, Sam Underwood. Underwood. Yeah, yeah. So they did even more of that. Um, okay. But the young thing was John Cameron Mitchell in the show. Okay. Cool. So yeah, so th- in each of these vignettes, the, the way a lot of these people relate to each other ends up with sex. Um, so first of all, was that something that you expected? Knowing that, like, was that something that was shocking to you? Was it like, how do you think it was presented, uh, Aaron? Um. Okay. So here's it. It. It was hard for me to watch simply because watching it as a musical, because it continued to jump time time to time, and because of that convention, these people changed, and then the relationships continued to change. At least for the first half of the movie, I was like, okay, so I'm not, I'm not rooting for anyone. There is no central storyline or linear storyline I'm following. So I'm just watching all of these relationships in their most carnal moments. And it's more of a, and so I, so with that, and of course it shifts throughout the show, but I was like, okay. And it took me a while to to figure out, and I still don't even really know because I wanted to wait for this conversation to talk about it, what the central theme of the movie slash show is. Because I was like, it started to make sense to me why a whole bunch of college kids in my life really thought this show was really great. And then as an adult experiencing it afterward, I was like, okay, so this feels like a show that 20-somethings would think is about love because they don't know what love is yet. And watching it as a 30 something, I was like, I was like, okay, so is this more of, cause I don't think it's about that at all. Is it about connection? Is it about power dynamics? Is it about, and so I didn't, I, I couldn't pinpoint what I thought the movie slash show was about. And because when I don't, when I can't clearly know what thematically a show is, I have a hard time watching it. Does that make sense? Uh, uh, Haley, do you have anything you want to add to that? I mean, I, I, I agree. I had a hard time figuring out what the through line was. And it took me a while to kind of, and I don't, maybe it was because I looked down real fast and then, you know, then the next scene was on. But I didn't know that it was like really switching time periods until I think maybe the fourth story. <laughs> Neon numbers. Yeah. Yeah, I know. But I was like, where was I? And so once I realized that that's what was happening, I was like, how did I miss this before? So I don't know. Again, I might have like looked down to get the remote to turn it up. I don't know. So I was like, wait, was Rumor Willis wearing a wig in that scene before with that guy? And then all of a sudden she's now wearing a really bad lace front. Like what's happening? <laughs> Again, I look at the details. Always with the wigs. So I was 
really confused. I was like, oh, she, I was, I was really confused. Um, but really I was, um, again, I don't look at the stuff like Aaron looks at, which, it, which is why I love this, these discussions. Cause I'm like, I don't look at that stuff. I'm just looking at my friends in like cool costumes. <laughs> <laughs> There were some fun ones. Uh, there are. Robbie, what did like? What is your take on how like the how the story's told and like how it's like these very like physical, intimate moments and stuff like that? So I think this is the best film that you can make out of this material, specifically because they bookended it with the her taking that pill, like Martha Plimpton takes a like an ecstasy pill, for lack of a better word, that mm -hmm. diamond, and goes on this trip um, through lovers. And I think it's about connection and confusing sex and connection. I, um, I could buy that. I would buy that. And uh, and finally, at the end, you know, she sings, the bed was not my own, someone slept here. Uh, and it's all these people through time and space. And the, like, it's not really, nothing's real, um, which Tom, uh, the director, Tom Gustafson, I think was really smart to add that moment that's like, this isn't real. It's almost like company is not real. Uh, it's always, he's about to blow out the cake um, and yeah. another seat, right? So it's sort of in that vein. Um, and yeah, it's also Rumor Willis's uh, Drag Race audition video because those days <laughs> are awful but let's be real i love her i think she's so insanely talented and mm -hmm. i've nothing but kind wonderful things about her so oh no no she's bring her to broadway let's get her here it's just that the wig, wig is the wig was terrible yeah yeah those are great color on her though yes <laughs> i agree brian what are your thoughts Sure. Um, I think I, I I think that Robbie put it best in terms of this is the best version of the show, especially if you're not going to change a lot, um, because then you, I feel like you have a really hard time discerning between how much do you adapt and how much do you stay true to how the story is told, because the story has been told this way from Laurent all the way through. Um, mm -hmm. But one thing that I did find interesting, and I didn't catch it in every single one, but you know how, she, like Robbie mentioned, she takes that like red pill at the beginning. Yeah. That yeah. red pill is in every single yep. scene. Yep. Um, yeah. Whether it's yeah. the the brooch or whether it's the um, necklace or the the thing. So I thought that was at least some visual. The next person who takes on the scene, whoever yeah, has ownership of the red. And if you notice, it's always someone is taking it. Because yes. every single scene, the the person who starts the scene has the power, and the power gets passed to the next person, the next scene. So right. I thought right. that the way they visualized that was very interesting. Um, so I, I this is not my favorite adaptation of a. Oh, do we Wait, have a guest? Here. Who could this be? How do you keep? Oh. Star of Hello Again, Jenna Oshkowitz. Yay. Jenna! Hey, guys. Hi. Hi. That's insane. Real quick, so y'all don't get a, a crazy rework. How are you guys? Hey, How hello. are you guys? Hello again. <laughs> hello again. See what you did there. <laughs> <laughs> so how, how have you been this quarantine? How are you doing? doing okay you know it's been weird and crazy for everybody but um you know we're healthy and we're we're doing all right so uh just trying to stay sane yeah so 
alive. <laughs> exactly. Part of the way that we're staying sane is doing these movie episodes. And so this week was my, I, my host choice and I picked Hello Again. So we all watched that. So can you just tell us what your experience was like, like filming that and like putting that together and playing the character that's like two basically different characters, but how that all played out for you? Yeah, yeah. So basically, I got a um, a call when I was in Hawaii, and they were like, "We're doing this film. Um, it's Michael John." And I was like, oh, "You know." Um, and they were like, "We'd love to for you to play the nurse." Um, and it's, it was really scary for me because, like, I hadn't sang in a while. It had been like a minute. So um, this was before Waitress, and um, you know, I I popped in real quick, but I had to get the bod right because. She's half, na- everybody's naked in this. Everybody's <laughs> naked, um, which is terrifying. And, you know, they told us that we were going to be singing live on set, kind of like a la Les Mis at the time was oh, the cool. reference. So we had an accompanist. Um, he was amazing. And he played and we had earwigs in our ears. So each take was, we had the creative liberty to, do things that I hadn't been able to do on Glee because you have to make cool. some choices and yeah. So everything was live. Um, That's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. Also very stressful. Very stressful. Also like your one scene where you're singing live, like you were in a compromising position. to be Very, yeah. very. <laughs> Thank gosh for the team that put this together. They were so collaborative and, and um, supportive because it's just really really vulnerable like everybody's just really vulnerable bust out um and um yeah so that was like really fun I really enjoyed that one the most I think um you know playing the nurse and with without Calderon um the liberties that they gave us as far as like who if you're the same person if you're not the same person was up to you they said like however you kind of want to play it um so I took it as, you know, the girl in the 40s took it to the 60s as much, like a nurse um, who had lived in a separate lifetime, who had like a, a basically reincarnation, I guess, if you will, that um, took her life experience from one and mm. took it to the other. Because, you know, in each one, I've, I've found that like each vignette was... You, you know, you're playing cat and mouse and you're cat in one and your mouse in the other. Yeah. So um, that's what I kind of took from it. And um, did I answer all the questions? No, you did. Girl, you are so good in this movie, by the way. Yeah. Um, oh, thank yeah. you. Yeah, really good. So, did you know, you. were you familiar with the show before getting the, getting the movie or did you <sighs> learn the show for A little bit. I was familiar with it. I wasn't as familiar with it, obviously, after I got the film. <laughs> after I got the film. Um, so you got you know, intimate I kinda, with the show when you got the I film. got intimate with the show. I got intimate with LaRond, um, the play. But I did, you know, obviously Donna Murphy is like a darling friend of mine and that whole freaking cast is ridiculous. So I was familiar with it. I just didn't, I didn't know it. Like I actually had to learn the show. There are some shows mm-hmm. where you're like, oh yeah, I'll pop into this, no problem. But this one I definitely had to learn. Um, and they also didn't have any of the orchestrations or f- for the final um, final cut done. So basically what they did was they let us record it with this like style in mind that they played for us. But then they did all the orchestrations in post. So none of that like beat of like the symbols that she felt like in um, uh, 
what is the song I sing? Um, some other, what is the song called? Some other time. Thank some you. other life. Some other time. Some other life. Um, none of that was in, I was hearing at all. I was literally hearing like a skeleton accompaniment. Okay. Yeah, they were building those orchestrations at Kilgore Studio when we were recording Jessica Vosk's album. I remember. No way. That's right. Because yeah. we came in and we did like a very basic recording, um, all because all of these numbers and like sets uh, were a weekend each. So that was it. So I shot my whole thing with Nolan in one weekend and um, later, and I shot the stuff with Al in the 60s, um, like four weeks before that over the weekend. Oh. It makes yes, sense. Michael? I mean, each vignette is so short, you can get it done pretty quickly. And there's only... Totally. I mean, we only had so much money if too. Not you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Robbie, you were going to say something? Was Michael John around a lot? And did he give you any insight? No, he wasn't around at all. He did not come to set once. Um, But he gave Tom and Corey, who wrote, directed, edited the whole thing, so much liberty to, like, do what what they thought. They checked in with him, I know. But he actually, the first time I ever met him, we went to a screening in Virginia um, near the Signature, and he came. And I was terrified. I mean, terrified that I, I was like, I fucked up your stuff. Oh, sorry. Damn it. I messed, you know, it's like I get one dire- direction. I can't follow it. Um, <laughs> so sorry. <laughs> Literally one thing. Um, I messed, I was like, I messed up your show. Like, I, like, that's what I thought about Michael John. He was the nicest he loved the film he was like you were wonderful he loved the way everybody interpreted it and so you know it, that was like the, like the saving grace or the really like the cherry on top of it all because this is one of my favorite projects ever 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 to work on um mm. it means just, so much to me you know we just talked about like what we thought the themes of this are. What are your opinions on what the themes of this show are and of the movie that you guys made? And was there direction in what thematically was trying to be done or was it more individual based? I mean, I think it was, I think you'd have to ask Tom, you know, as far as like the direction of the vision, but I think, I think it was individually based on, each set, each set, each moment, each beat, like, you know, as, at least for me as an actor too, like I, I, I think being in the moment of each, uh, each vignette was like really important to not go, not go too far ahead or too far behind. Um, but everything was in Laurent in a circle. So it all comes back around, which I think is the main theme of it all. But um, again, like I said, for the choosing the characters to be kind of these like other life, uh, you're like your soul moving to another body, basically. Like I felt like that was the whole theme of this, you know, circular, um, full circle kind of theme, if that makes sense. It's also been like a long time since I've seen it, but, um, (laughs) what were, what were some of your thoughts on theme? You're just uh, some, like people are talking about how they think it's like like my interpretation of it is like a study of humanity and because it's called hello again it's the idea that like people may change the world may change but like things and relationships don't actually change so oh, interesting every vignette to me is like a reinterpretation of human like trying to connect 
right. and why archetypal characters are not actually able to, even though they physically do. So I felt right. like the physical mass always ending in sex was like a desperate attempt to connect. So that's mm. why, to me, like the sex was all just like, like very, like it was sad because it was like desperately trying to feel something because mm. every time people had sex, they were never on the same page. Like actually. Right. So it was just, to me, this was just a really like a beautiful kind of like bittersweet story of like how a lot of life is just, just reaching for broken connections. And I think there's also the, you know, so I forget who said this, but like uh, history doesn't repeat itself. People repeat history. Yeah, I think like totally. this is like a microcosm on a human level of that um, of that kind of thought process. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, essentially, like, what do all people crave? You know, connection in whatever mm-hmm. form that is, and a, a lot of the time, <laughs> gosh, a lot of the time we we crave the external. So the external is the sexual, the sex. You know, like that everybody ends up like you know you end up. Um, defaulting to when really like you what what you're really looking for is like you know the the fulfillment of it all so it's been um but it's been such a while since i've seen it oh gosh well it's on amazon prime (laughs) i know it's on amazon prime for free that's right it's on amazon prime everybody (laughs) i have a question then in terms of the what happens at the end of the show because you know how martha plimpton the is it the politician? Yeah, the senator. Yeah, has the speech with the whore. Has the speech with the whore about, and she just wants to connect. Was that? But then it then goes into the when they wake Her up. Leaving. And the, and so it it starts with them just talking, and then it ends up with them waking up together, and then she and then he leaves. Right. Was that the attempt of her breaking the cycle, or and then it, we weren't able to break the cycle, or? Well, that's her dream. Yeah, she's telling the whore about her dream, right? Right. Yeah, it's okay. in her. It's in her. Yes. But then, but yeah. So, but like for but a second you, in that scene, you assume that she literally is just there to talk to him. Well, I think it's interesting that like that moment in the movie is the first time because isn't she smoking a cigarette? Am I wrong? Or that she's? It's like Martha. Yes. Yeah. 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 She is afterward, right? So, yes. like, to me, like that is the only time in the show that somebody is like absolutely content after sex. Mm. So it's like oh. the first real connection. So then, when he leaves, it's like the connection has been made that everyone's been trying to make the whole show. So to me, okay. that's that way. I could buy that. Oh. I'd have to ask Tom. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not the director by any means. So like, I don't know, but that's what I took. Cause like that would make sense why everyone is stealing that Ruby from somebody in each scene. Right. Because they're trying, like they're taking something from someone. And in that scene, like he gave her the Ruby. Right. Like the pill. And then she found contentment. So to me, that was like the whole answer of that like puzzle. Yeah. He gives the original brooch back. exactly okay i could buy that which which like i don't even know that you saw my ruby in my scene in the in the nurse's yeah when was it 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 was there so one when i'm on top of him he uh he takes i have a necklace on with a ruby in it and he pulls it off Mm. um but it's so quick i mean they're so quick that's so yeah 
I actually don't know that 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 smaller thing was a choice or not, but um, yeah. but yeah, in the first one it started, it was like, <laughs> like yeah, and then, here uh, it is. <laughs> Audrey <gives> Martha Plenty. <laughs> Big. <laughs> I know. I know. Yay. Cool. So fun. Um, mm-hmm. All right. So should we? Uh, well, thank you, Jenna. Thank you so much for joining us and like giving <laughs> us a little bit of insight into the yeah. movie. Thanks for um, chatting about this film. I'm so excited to hear the rest yeah. of this episode. For sure. Yeah. It's, awesome. so, it's so good to see you. We're so glad you're doing well. Hang in there. I know. Thanks for having me, you guys. It's so good to see you all. Good to see yeah. you. Yeah. And can't wait Bye. to hear the rest of the episode. Bye. 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 <laughs> um, Robbie's fun. Now let's <laughs> talk about how much we hated it. No. <laughs> um, I think I'm in the minority of you guys because I think this film is brilliant, and I you're think convincing me. You're convincing me to jump I think over. The show is brilliant. I think that the that sex good. is shocking, but I think if you like, if you don't think about it as like shock value sex, but in, instead think about it as like they're trying to jar you into realness because like it's not like passionate porn sex. It's like makes people uncomfortable because it's reality kind of sex. So I'll say that none of the sex bothered me at all. It had nothing to do with the sex. I thought it was very organic to the situations that those characters were in. I will say that the sex was jarring because we've just watched Mary Poppins and Frozen. And so like in terms of what we're covering, I was like, I was like, oh, this is the, the, this is what we're doing. But like, I actually didn't think that any of it was like quote inappropriate. Um, oh no! You know what I mean. Yeah. In, in terms yeah. of like shock value, like you mentioned, like all I of this. I feel bad because I know that I took us down like such a deep dive from like the lovely Muppet movies we were doing before, and I'm like, no, we're watching the mattress. <laughs> well, I think I think it's also like it's intentionally jarring because yeah. the 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 like the purpose of especially with this conversation right now, the purpose of these like sexual instances is that they are not rooted in love or romance or connection. And so when you watch that on screen in a voyeuristic manner, it feels ugly and it's supposed to. Yeah. I would really be interested in seeing this as a stage show. Like done. Obviously it's been done as a stage show. It started as a theatrical (laughs) piece. Haley, but um, <laughs> now that I've seen this, I'd be—I would just be interested to see how they do it. It's also—it's also a little jarring because, like, we know those people. We know Cheyenne Jackson and Audrey right. Donald. So yeah. Like, yeah. Being that scene happen, I was like, okay, whoa. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, well, here's. Oh, go ahead. I just have—I have a question. Did. I, I'm I, back to what Aaron said earlier before Jenna joined us, and then kind of piling on what Jenna told us the I had a hard time I think there is a lull in the film of care of of the vignettes where I kind of like tapped out a little bit and then and then the end brought me back in um but I think that's something that Jenna said really made me realize what my um what 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 didn't work for the movie for me is I was really into the thematic elements of it that we're all talking about, the ideas of loneliness and what is connection versus love and how those songs convey that. I think that's something when I'm watching a film that was missing from this, and we even talked about this in like even Frozen 2. Um, when I thematically, I'm really engaged, but because there is a, 
a purposeful inconsistency in what how the characters move to the next scene or how they are i have a hard time of really getting into it from a narrative standpoint mm-hmm. so once i understand thematically what's it about I, I i enjoy that but still i just can't get into the characters because i'm not following one individual through it yeah i would agree with that can i say something yeah i imprinted my own plot on it <laughs> there's couldn't quite follow it, but I read this book years ago that I'm obsessed with called My Name is Memory. And it's about these two, I mean, one person is the main character, but it's about two people being reincarnated and trying to find each other each time because they're soulmates Mm. and they often meet in the wrong body or they meet as an old woman and a kid. And they're like, this isn't our life. And then at the end of the book, they like are the same age again. Mm. And so the minute she's in there, like I'm looking for someone and then it goes back in time. I'm like, Oh, she's looking for her soulmate across the generations. And so the whole movie, I was like, ah, they're just looking for each other again. And they're the same. And so I just the whole time was like, they're the same people. That's a really pretty interpretation. I like that. Now that I do, I got goosebumps. The wrong power dynamic and in the wrong time and the wrong age group Uh, it's worth pointing out that michael john added the decades to the piece that wasn't that's not in leron Mm -hmm. so that's all new to when he and graziella danielle who it was her idea to adapt this piece um created so much cooler than just like here's a bunch of people having sex in new york Mm-hmm. Like, r- remind me, LaRonde and, like, Blue, Blue Room, I, it's been a while since I even read them or, or did any research. That's just same time period. It's the same exact person going from scene to scene. No. Uh, no. I don't remember. It's still just, like, an archetype, as Kevin has been saying, going from scene to scene. So it's not, like... The in LaRonde or whatever, it's not like the politician, the senator, let's just for that, or the young student. It is, it's the same stu- young student in two scenes with different lovers. Oh, yes, mm-hmm. okay, right. Okay. Like the yeah. one actor doesn't play multiple people, iterations of, yeah, right. Okay, okay, cool. Okay. So, um, does any uh, Robbie? Did you want to talk about how just the album was recorded? Because she said it was recorded live for the film, right? What actually happened? Uh, you're making the album. I love that they they sang live, like she said, wearing earwigs, uh, and then as they were choosing, they you know used the film take uh, and built the orchestrations on it at Kilgore Studios, um, piece by piece. So, like we recorded some of the backups of Justice's album at Kilgore while he was working on. The album. Also, uh, I want to say for Hello again. again. Just yeah. to shout out, buy Jessica's album. It's freaking spectacular. It's pretty good. Yeah, give it a stream. I'd be thrilled. Uh, <laughs> but um, but uh, so, and then we released uh, Beyond the Moon as a single before the film came out. Um, that's the new song that was written for the film for Audra. Um, her character in the show is a silent film actress. Mm-hmm. Um, Michelle Pock, who mm-hmm. she's a silent film actress, and then so uh, Michael John wrote this for her as the recording star mm-hmm. uh, into the Mistress of the Senator. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, final thoughts before we do our wrap up for this one. 
I'll just here's say, a question. Oh, oh, oh okay. Okay. Aaron, I'm, Aaron, you go first because I'm going to do my final thoughts. The um, well, for the uh, because I think something that Jenna said that it was all cat, it was a cat and mouse relationship through the entire movie. That was really that clarifies a lot of the uh, the dynamic of the movie for me. The okay. one place that that catches, I feel like, is Audra's character because I feel like she was mouse in both instances. Is oh, that not no. true? No. I don't know. No, Mistress of the Senator, she's the one with the power because she could destroy the Senator's career at any time. Fair, okay. Okay. Got you. I see what you mean, though. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Oh, she's so good in this movie. Okay, mm-hmm. they're all so good. This is a really well-known cast. Uh, Brian, final thoughts? Um, I didn't totally enjoy this movie while watching it. I, very similar to like, a fine book that you find more in after and recollection. That's why I love these conversations. I, in hindsight, love the movie more than I did while watching it. And I came in thinking of my rankings of all four of these, and now I'm totally rethinking them based on this conversation. So I'm, this is the type of movie that I'm really happy we get to do on this podcast um, because um, I probably would have watched it and moved on and just in my brain always thought it was not a good film or a flawed film that I didn't enjoy. And even if I considered a flawed film now, I, I, there's so much merit and value to this adaptation that um, I'm super happy you chose it and we got to talk about it in a more in-depth manner. Uh, Haley? Um, I, would, I would give it a second shot after hearing everyone's thoughts um, just to catch things that I didn't catch. But not my favorite. I I mean I I like to kind of walk away from something, especially if it's a musical, being able to at least hum one song, and I could not do that with this. And it's not about the film; it's just like maybe it's the show itself. It's just not. I don't think it's my cup of tea. But I, I liked seeing all my friends on the screen. That was really fun. Yeah. <laughs> um, Kimberly, final thoughts. Um, I'm excited to watch it again now that sort of like the shock of just like every scene is sex is like in my brain as a thing I can accept. Um, I have a love-hate relationship with Lacusa scores. So there's also just that of just like some of this I'm not going to enjoy. But the movie as a whole I thought was like shot and filmed beautifully except for the one red wig. (laughs) (laughs) yes uh mr aaron final thoughts um i think like brian i think this because i i reserved my opinion of the movie until we had this conversation because i knew that this conversation would help me a lot um Mm -hmm. i do through this conversation i appreciate i think i appreciate the material more than i had watching the movie i don't I still don't think I like the movie simply because of that reason. I think that this story and this show presented in another medium would be a lot more powerful simply because I think movies are meant to told to be told more linearly and thematic stories are meant to be told theatrically. Uh, Mr. Roselle, and this album is still available on Broadway Records, correct? Yes. Get it. Give it a stream. That's just an ongoing thing now. It's a bit. I'll say it again later. Um, Like I said, this is the best 
possible film that could be made from this material. And I really like the material. Um, I, I was shocked when this film was announced. And uh, the first time I heard somebody say, they're making a film of a Logan. I said, okay, I'll believe that when I see it. It's like that Lucky Stiff film when you go, oh, yeah, that's never going to get made. And somehow it is. Um, <clears throat> that being said, I think, it's very good. I think Martha Plimpton is extraordinary in this movie, and we haven't talked about that enough, yeah. uh, <laughs> frankly. Um, there, I, I wish that we had this cast in a little bit better production value mm-hmm. um, mm. because like, there are some lighting shots that are just not great. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so there are certain people who, it's like that episode of Seinfeld where in certain light, you go, oh my God. And then another light, you're like, yes, you are beautiful. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I'm not naming names. Uh, I just wish that they had more money to light sure. it better. Uh, but overall, I really like it. Um, and what's interesting, Aaron, uh, what you said about how things should be certain mediums. We're going to get to that topic uh, with our last film because I had very strong feelings about it. Same. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Hello again, Broadway Records. Amazing. Um, and my final thoughts on this, just to wrap it up, um, screw all the things that you had said. I think it's brilliant. I think this is great. <laughs> um, I, hot take, will buy this movie when it goes off free Amazon Prime. Um, I think this could be one of the movies that I kind of watch before I sit down to write for inspiration, just because I looked at this 100% from the writing perspective as like what a musical is and how you can translate it. And I thought this was just such a really amazing, brave thing to do to kind of like tell a story this way and be raw and like kind of gross about it to like make a real point. Um, and I it's, So you would prefer, I'm just, so you would prefer to watch this to be inspired as opposed to listening to the off-Broadway album? I mean, I'm going to do all of it, but I'm oh, just, okay. A lot of times I just like, I need like a full like visual medium because like sure. I cast albums, but like sometimes I, as a writer, like we'll be like, is this possible? It's like when you like are trying to like write a stage show or like write something for screen. So like sometimes it helps just to see like a big picture. Sure, sure. And be, like, I loved when, when Martha Plimpton was walking down that alley into the erotic movie, th- whatever, mm-hmm. whatever it is, where it starts and ends because there's just pieces of, of, props the film like just strewn yes. there and they all make sense at the like at the beginning you're like how the heck is she but at the end it all makes sense and mm-hmm. ties it all together beautifully so like, also, visually it makes a lot of sense i also felt like as just real quick I'll add this, as, a, as a gay man i thought this was a really amazing movie to watch because there's so many like really powerful like point like poignant like real moments of gay life that like aren't just like the the coming out story or like, like the, I mean those things are great and I'm glad they're becoming so commonplace that like that's the story that's being told but like it's really beautiful in this like the like the Titanic story wrecks me and like mm-hmm. just, it also way- wrecked the Titanic <laughs> 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 the way they perform it too is just so this really re- tr night is so good in that scene. That's actually one of my favorite scenes. I'm happy you pointed that out. Yeah, I like it. Gender- pretty Little Liars boy. Oh, so good. And the gender swap of the the whore in the first scene is really a strong push there too because it's. It, I just I just thought it was lovely. So um, the senator swap. That's what gets it for me. Mm-hmm. Changing yeah, the well, senator to a woman. I didn't know the senator was swapped. I just saw like an article about how they, or like an article, a line on Wikipedia about how they had 
I have to go. I have a thing. <laughs> how they changed the whore to a male in the beginning and how Lachista thought that was a really strong, uh, Kista thought it was a really strong uh, choice. Okay, so we're going to go to Rotten Tomatoes score for this movie. Uh, Brian, use the tomato meter or the audience score? The, the one on the left. I think that's the tomato, tomato meter. Okay, so we're going to take everybody's pr- prediction of what you think the Rotten Tomatoes score for this movie is. Uh, we'll start with Kimberly. It could go so, like, two very strongly different ways that I'm just going to say it's a 95. Okay. Uh, Haley? 43. Aaron? Um, because, it's a, because it's the critic score, I'm going to also go high and be, like, 87. Uh, Robbie? I think the only score I can have is 69, right? Uh, and Mr. Plofty Um, I'm going to stick in the I'm going to go with 73 so this movie has a 29 on Rotten Tomatoes I went over but I was closest you were closest so you're the Price is Right winner I was gonna, yeah, so, so basically both showcases are going back in the box till later. No does it have a, Kevin, does it have a critic's consensus or no? It didn't. It didn't have a critic's oh, consensus. Okay. It just has a 29%. Damn. The audience The audience score was 57, so more people liked it than didn't. Okay. Whoa. Yes, Robbie. Uh, this film wasn't, like, widely released, though. It only right. played, like, festivals. So Correct. there probably were like, not as many. I was going to say, there were maybe, like, three bad reviews, and that's all that was aggregated. Right. Yeah. No MPAA film. rating. Yeah. No, they released it uh, unrated. Uh, Tom Gustafson uh, also made another movie musical that I recommend called Were the World Mine? Um, that's, like, another gay film based around uh, Midsummer Night's Dream, a high school oh. production of Midsummer Night's Dream. Well, well we should have that. watched that last week. And <laughs> with our, uh, <laughs> we should have. <laughs> All right, but what we, we're going to jump into the next movie now. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. <gasps> no, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And the next next film that we watched uh, was First You Dream. The music of Candor and Ebb. This is a concert that was done on Friday, November 20th, 2015. And it was shot live at the North Shore Center for the Performing Arts in Illinois. This is a landmark television event. It was a a big tribute to Candor and Ebb. uh, And everybody knows who they are. Chicago, Cabaret, Kiss the Spider Woman, The Curtains, and some shows that I'd never heard of that were in this um, and it's basically, uh, let's see, below. this was done on PBS, and it starred some really big heavy hitters of Broadway. It was Kate Baldwin, Heidi Blickenstaff, James Clow, 
uh, Norm Lewis and Julia Murney and Matthew Scott, friend of the show. Um, so this is just a concert of them going through. So this one, there's not really a plot to discuss and things like that. So I was thinking what we would do is we could talk about like standout moments that people had. Um, and if everybody can pick, think in their mind right now, we'll talk through standout moments. And then, cause obviously this concert is lovely. Candor never incredible. The music is brilliant. Um, so we're just going to talk about the things that really jumped out at you. And also, if you can think of, of the cast, who would you have, if you had to pick one person, who is the MVP of this cast? Um, Robbie, yes. So this show started at the Kennedy, at Signature in 2009 with basically the cast that's on the DVD, except for Kate Baldwin. Uh, Alicia Gamble played that role. And then it went to Kennedy Center of the next year and three people were switched out. Leslie Kritzer came in, Patina Miller came in, Alan H. Green came in. Uh, and then they filmed it much later. But I was talking to Kate Baldwin today because I had some questions. Because uh, <laughs> it's only 50 minutes. And so I was like, did you guys film the whole thing? And what did, was cut? Because originally it was two acts. And she said, no, they did it as 90 minutes. And there are eight pieces, like eight songs that were cut that are on the DVD of it. Oh, interesting. That you can buy through PBS, but that um, they didn't do the whole thing and they didn't do the, the um, what's just on the DVD is I think important to know. And it was also created by David Loud who created uh, with uh, Scott Allison, Susan Stroman and The World Goes Round, which is the Kendra Knapp review that everybody in the world throws on a jewel tone dress. And does. <laughs> <laughs> My God. Yeah. Um, Robbie, doesn't Kate Baldwin have an album on Broadway Records? Kate Baldwin does have an album on Broadway Records. Yes, and she's recording a new one. Oh, oh. wonderful. Hot, Wait, I'll give it a right stream. There. Yeah, give it a stream. <laughs> okay, um, uh, go ahead, Brian. So I'll say my MVP actually, before knowing that Robbie said all that, my MVP actually is Kate Baldwin. Um, for me, she pops the most, because this is filmed, for me, she pops the most off the screen. Um, anytime that she is on stage, even if she's singing opposite Norm Lewis and Norm Lewis is singing, my focus is solely on her, the stare, the everything. She, um, she was, she was what my attention was always pulled to. And she, I mean, they all sound, spe sound spectacular, but she just really pops and stands out for me. Um, that was my MVP. Amazing. Uh, we'll just keep going with MVPs so people can just jump in. Uh, Kimberly, who's your MVP? Well, it's tied into that I didn't expect a song that I had forgotten was one of my favorites to play. And so just Norm Lewis singing Life Is from Zorba is the oh, MVP mm. of the whole thing. Well, well played. Uh, Haley, MVP. Um, it's very hard to pick an MVP because I I literally know all of them except one. So I feel like I'm, you know, and we all know all of them, but it's like, ah! But um, this isn't saying anyone else is like not incredible. Oh, no, I yes, know. Yes, it is. It absolutely <laughs> is. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm picking my MVP because it was my favorite moment and my favorite, like, my hair blew back was um, it's Kate because that New York, New York, I was like, what? So that's going to be on her album. Yeah, I was. Yeah, like, it should be. Those Skokie residents got on their feet. 
Uh, Aaron, your MVP? I mean, only because everyone else has said Kate Baldwin. I won't say Kate Baldwin, but that was my MVP. <laughs> my second place MVP is probably Norm Lewis because what's the song right before um, New York, New York that he sang? Uh, Life is. From Zorba, my favorite part. Yeah. That Life one. is what you do. Yeah. I, I mean, both of those voices could sing the phone book and I'd be happy. But that pure straight tone can rock me to sleep at night. Like, forget about it. It's so beautiful. Well, my MVP of this show, I mean, I was, it's, it's a, it was, I almost chose Heidi Blickenstaff just because her voice is like butter. And he does so many funny moments while also being the Beltris. So like he's doing the Beltris and the comedy stuff and I, I live. But my MVP for this show is Matthew Scott. I mean, okay. The reason why is because that boy has to speak in Russian, then has to sing the most ridiculous part of a patter song then he also has to do the big like solo number of cabaret and I miss the music directly after the opening number. So after the like the audience has that excitement and then the lull, he has to come in and do a double ballad, and he's incredible. And then he also gets used to just look at his ass, and he's yes, so, he is. He's so fun about it and like plays it so well that I was just like. You win this. He concert. loves it. Come on. I just mean the way he played it was so well done that I was just like, because he could have been like a little douchey about it, but like, sure. but he's like so, he's just a lovely person that I was just like, yeah. you win this concert, sir. You win this concert. <laughs> um, okay. So let's talk about like, now we can just kind of celebrate our friends who were incredible in this concert. Let's just shout out some of like our favorite moments. Uh, we'll start this time with Mr. Roselle. That trio that the, the three ladies sing. David the Loud is, yeah. The, the, David Loud is known for those trios. The Lloyd Webber love trio. Ooh. Is he did all of these. Yeah. So he, and there's one of maybe this time we can make it. And, uh, uh oh what's the third one it's from funny lady but that's in and the world goes round and so the trio in this he's the mvp for me because mm. putting that together putting all of this together and with 22 pieces come on come on uh, also kate baldwin's newscaster hair live live that's amazing so, yeah that was a good one uh Haley, do you have some fun moments that popped out to you um one fun moment that wasn't fun for me was seeing those sad prom dresses on my beautiful lady friends uh, <laughs> didn't it look like a college showcase yes Mm -hmm. And those are beautiful grown women that should never be in those <laughs> outfits. So again, we're going back to <laughs> the, the details. There, the costumes like were a little. They were a little like knockoff voices of liberty. They were rent the runway every yeah. last. Oh, month. worse than rent. It the is. Runway. It is. Totally I know like we're at the Snapple dress. Theater Center. We're <laughs> at the Snapple <laughs> Theater Center but watching when, Ithaca College senior class. Yes. And then they're going to do monologues. Hey, but when hey, was hey, this hey. filmed? Like you could tell, you could tell just by, and maybe it's because, again, they're all our friends. But like I know, like 
just by looking at Heidi's face, this was filmed a while ago. It was November 20th, 2015. So this was five years ago. Mm. Well, it looks older than that. And not meaning that like our friends look older now. I mean that the Camera fashion quality. and the, the quality of like just certain things, it looks very dated to me. Um, it's, I would say it's a very PBS edit, the way that it's yeah. done. I'll agree with yeah. that. Um, that was, I mean, that really stood out. But I like the lady number because, again, they're my, they're my ladies, so I liked seeing them. <laughs> yes. Uh, Kimberly. Norm Lewis singing Life Is from Zorba. The <laughs> 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 military man song. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, Aaron, did you say yours? I would say outside of the songs, the moment before the number where the the Julia Murney, Heidi Blick and Steph number where they point out Matt Scott's butt. Very far from the tree. Yeah. Yeah. The banter at the oh. top where they're straight, where Julia's like straight up like, pull up, we're on TV. Or pull up, this is for PBS or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I gagged. I, I like looked up and audibly guffawed. Yeah. When, when Heidi said, and in this song, you're playing my mom. Yeah. Hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> Just Julia's face. When she goes, you're a character actress. <laughs> yeah. Character actress. Gandhi Just said... All the banter was great. Was Gandhi cool. said, be the character actress you wish to see in the world. And that's what I'm trying to do every day. So... You're <laughs> nailing it. I think, it, I think in, in things like this, um, regardless of the production value or anything that's surrounding it, as you said, like a PBS cut, I, I like that term. Um... I will say that you always, especially when it's this high quality of talent, you really see specifically the difference between good sing acting and bad sing acting. There wasn't any bad in this, but like mm-hmm. just the little minute choices of a vowel here or the way you say a word. Um, Heidi and um, Kate do it and Drew, all the women do it all the time in this making those choices that elevate the song you're not just singing Kander Neb you're singing your version of Kander Neb and and that's what I loved about this so much of that goes to arrangements because Mm -hmm. I saw a little Lloyd Webber review called Unmasked at Paper Mill oh you did Mm -hmm. oh yeah and it um, was how you say not good okay (laughs) um because they were just stuck in the show arrangements. They didn't do anything to elevate the material or recreate it in some way. And David Loud, again, because he rethought so many of these songs and had done it before in And the World Goes Round, and because Kander and Ab are so liftable, their yeah. songs, mm. that you can yeah. sing them truly anywhere. Um, and there's like they are character-specific, but they still work outside of it. It's far better than most uh, reviews. In fact, after I saw on Mass, I had tweeted, what is a successful, pulling out uh, And the World's Round, what is a successful songwriter review of a musical theater songwriter? So not like Close Than Ever, but like songs that were taken from shows mm-hmm. and remixed mm-hmm. for something else. And I can't really think of any. I don't know Flora and the Red, the Red Menace. Oh, that's too bad. Is that song set in an elevator with two strings? Nope, sure no. is not. And can I say, my husband definitely turned to me and said, is this from Sweet Charity? 
And I said, no, that's by Cy Coleman. <laughs> he said, I knew that. Don't tweet it. So I'm saying it on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, because I, I thought that too. I thought that it was so impressive to me how Chandler and Ebb wrote songs that were so amazingly specific to characters, but yet at the same time are so liftable because the humanity that they pack into each song can be placed in a new place where it works in whatever situation you place it in. That's that's a real talent. Cause I mean, there's some really incredible musical theater writers who do incredible work, but like their work is specifically locked in this box. Like, you can't do yeah. it with this. And this was really amazing. Um, that arrangement of cabaret that Matthew Scott sang mm-hmm. that was wholly oh. new is beautiful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was going to say, they write good cabaret songs. They knew their cast, which I love. Like, they knew their cast, and they knew exactly what material, like, like you said, the arrangements. They knew exactly what to lay on people's voices the exact way that everyone in this show shines. Like, mm-hmm. and shines in the best way possible. I will say the one person that I was like, oh, right, I forgot you were in this, was um, the 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 character actor guy. James uh, Clow. Yeah, he didn't really get utilized very much. All his stuff got cut. Oh. Okay. oh That's wow. what they said, yeah. Why? Well, he gave me a story, too. Uh, I, who knows? But he's um, on the DVD, that PBS. He is. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. So Kate told me, Kate tells the story a lot, that uh, she brought her son Colin to rehearsals one day, and um, they were singing, and he fell asleep. And Candor turned to her after the song and said, I guess he's not a fan. <laughs> uh, uh, Hilarious. Was there like a, an occasion for this concert? Like, was there an anniversary or? It was a part of a PBS series. So like okay. they've been, like Robbie said, they've been developing the show, but PBS did this like, uh, it was like a specific series about like inside the music or something that they were doing. Um, that's okay. not the real title, but you can at me and tell me what it is. Um, so they had like a like a thing they were doing every year to like get subscribers. So it was like a part of this package where they would okay. film like something and then like sell the DVDs for like a hundred dollar donation. That goes right, to- like the Marvin Hamlish one they did one year. Yeah. They do them, mm. you know, just celebrating those songwriters. In that it's that like, might it's be just the like year that. When did Fred pass away? Fred, I can call him that. Um, does anyone know when Mr. Ebb died? What does the Google tell us? Um, because maybe that had something to do with it. Fred Ebb passed away in 2004, so no. Not mm. Okay. Um, yeah, maybe not. Um, maybe 20 I years of Chicago. this whole thing, because you had said, Kevin, the theme of this week was theater, but make it history. History, but make it theater. Jesus, yeah. <laughs> I write it down wrong. <laughs> Either way, that works. Who cares? Um, uh, wait, which way was it? History. History, but make, make, make it theater. Oh, that's what I wrote down. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Um, I was thinking that this was going to be something similar. And again, I've never seen it because it wasn't in it. Um, <laughs> the Sondheim by Sondheim, the show that was on Broadway... About. A lot of this cast was in Sondheim on Sondheim. Right. James Clow, Matthew Scott. Yeah. Uh, and Lewis. And Heidi. Lewis. No, oh, Heidi wasn't in it. Um, no, Leslie Kritzer. 
Kritzer was. Um, but I thought it would be something similar to that where we mm. were learning about the composers and instead it was just a concert. So I was I was like waiting for things and I was like, oh, this was oh, 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 it's just a concert. Okay. This was my stretch in the history because it was like <laughs> three of their careers spanned no, out. No, it's fine. It's fine. But I was like, I know what you mean by this of like we're learning their the history of their repertoire, which... I get it. But I was like, I was waiting for a through line of like, this is the history of Kendra and Ebb and we're going to tell a story and now we sing about them. <laughs> I was like, I, nope. nope. <laughs> and then we, I know we talked about this with Matthew Scott when we first met him, like the first time we recorded. Um, but the song, I Miss the Music, which uh. was written after Fred Ebb had died. So this was... Uh, Candor writing with his new writing partner. No, John wrote these lyrics alone. Oh, he did. That's mm-hmm. right. So for curtains, was, this was for curtains the musical, and the character is it's a it's it's basically a writing team like a lyrics and music people that write together, and they're a husband and wife, but they've like they were yeah were but they've separated. Mm-hmm. So he's singing about how he misses this woman that he's not with, and so uh, Matthew Scott said he asked him if he wrote this about Fred Ebb because it's so like transparently that and he wouldn't tell him that it, that's what it is about. He's like, I wrote it specifically for the character in the show. That's all it is. And everyone was like, mm. okay, I, buddy. I feel like you, you, can... hear, you hear it and it just breaks your heart. Like it's just such a lovely, and I think it's so lovely that that's tr- like highlighted as like a big moment early on in the show because it's acknowledging like what they had together was so special. Even harder is that song was originated by Jason Danieli, who used to sing oh. it in concert with Marin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh yeah. Right. So happy to bring this whole podcast down. <laughs> <laughs> so obviously because this is a PBS concert, there's no Rotten Tomatoes score. Mm-hmm. Um, so, <laughs> so we're, yeah, so no one rated this one. So we're just going to jump on to our next film because we got a lot to talk about with this one. Yep. Uh, this is Latin History for Morons. This is a show that was uh, inspired by the near total absence of Latinos in his son's American history class. So John Leguizamo uh, embarked on a frenzied search to find a Latin hero for his son's project. And this is basically... Uh, this was performed in... Uh, the previews began on Broadway at the Studio 54 Theater or just Studio 54, on October 19th, 2017. And then uh, they had an opening night, November 15th, 2017, and this was a limited run. It went for uh, until February 25th, 2018. This show was widely successful. Uh, the seats were filled. And I also, I I work at this, well, I work at the Schubert organization before Miss Rona came along. And... Um, this was one of the most popular shows for uh, schools to go to, especially New York City schools. Wow, that's amazing. That's cool. Yeah. Producer, I mean, John Leguizamo executive produced this, and they made they had the lowest student rate on Broadway. Nice. Like, How much was it? It was I think it was like thirty, like thirty eight dollars a ticket for students, and wow. they feel so expensive. That's still pretty high. It was the lowest rate. I mean, most student rates are. I don't even want to pay thirty eight dollars. I'm like, I thought you were going to be like five bucks. Twenty? No, this is. I mean, they had the lowest student rate that was then beat when uh, 
To Kill Mockingbird did the live, the free show in Madison Square Garden. They also were right. doing, they did $10 tickets for students for New York City Public Schools for a whole year for about yeah. a day every week. So like they, they've been doing stuff, but this was one of the first shows to kind of like really cut it down to like, he specifically wanted New York City Public Schools to come in so he could like fill the gap in the education. That's awesome. That's cool. So I did it show, it's word, right? Yeah, so I, he, I believe he took this out for a bit after this as well. Um, so Kelly, what'd you ask? Didn't this show extend like a lot of times? Mm-hmm. He was supposed to do a very, very limited run and he was just going to do like a, but then it was so wildly popular that they just kept extending. Yeah, I That's remember awesome. it. I'm so bummed I missed it. Um, Cause but I remember- You did it. You saw it. I did see it. And I think it's really an amazing thing that, that Netflix captured this or that mm-hmm. they kept this and made the deal with Netflix, however it happened. But, like, the fact that this exists and that, like, everyone who, like, because John Leguizamo is so popular as a comedian and an actor, that people will click on this, watch this, and have this experience to see this show. Um, so there's a lot to uncover, like, to talk about what he packs into 90 minutes. So let's just first talk about, like, the tr- how did you feel the, like, they filmed a stage show. So this wasn't, they like decided to make it filmed. It's like, mm-hmm. how did you think the production value of this allowed you to experience it in like the TV medium, even though it's meant for theater? Uh, we'll start with Aaron. I, I loved every minute of it. I thought it was fantastic. I thought it was, I, I think the live cap was really great of it. I thought it captured the spirit of it being in the theater while still being intimate and letting me get everything. Um, and it was a lot of subject matter to get. And I feel like I got, if not all of it, a good portion of it that I was supposed to. Um, I thought it was fantastic. It was my favorite thing of the week. Yes. Uh, Kimberly. I mean, myself, it was so good. I watched it, um, like, as I was doing work this morning and I kept finding myself like zoning out of my emails and just like <laughs> watching the whole thing um so it was very productive until I had to do a ballet party for children <laughs> I loved it this was the first thing I watched out of everything um I love seeing theatrical pieces filmed really well. So you feel like you're actually in the audience. Um, I think that, you know, just like the, she loves me and everything of that. Uh, what's it, what's the thing that people pay for, for Broadway shows? Broadway HD. <laughs> Don't pay for it. Um, <laughs> well, cause you're not in any of those shows. <laughs> oh, <right>. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, you guys, I'm never going <laughs> to. I'm never going to be on here again. Um, But I think any of those shows that are filmed for the Broadway HD, and I'm using that as an example because I just, I love that you get to feel like you're in the audience of a Broadway show and you get to experience the magic of it. And to not only know that he like did everything himself for this production is so inspiring and he's brilliant as a writer a actor a comedian um a producer like i was just in awe yeah uh robbie i loved it i loved i loved the way it was captured it reminded me a lot of 
the Kathy and Mo show that Kathy and Jamie and Mo Gaffney did a oh. uh, second stage back in the eighties, the HBO films. Uh, it's really captured well. And I really want a Jan Leguizamo sitcom where he's the father. And yes, uh, that's all it. I kept thinking is give me, I would like this every week, please. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Uh, Brian. Um, I loved this. Um, and I will actually say that this is the first time in since Broadway shut down that I viscerally missed live theater. Mm. I thought it was filmed like, yes, I miss Broadway. It's, it's bubble, you know, yada, yada, yada. But like, this was the first time sitting on the watch this because you could, I think it does such a good job of conveying the energy of him as well as the audience. Oh, it's it was very the, interactive. Yeah, I really, that's, yeah. this one really made me miss um, the live experience. Maybe the first time on like a truly deep, like guttural level in yeah. all this. Yeah, I would agree with that, yeah. There's something about 54 that's very conducive to filming. Mm-hmm. So like She Loves Me or Wishful Drinking, which was Carrie Fisher's uh, solo show that was filmed. Mm-hmm. Uh, they they all really work there for some reason. But Wait, they didn't thought, film this at yeah. 54. Oh, no? They, they, they I, look like they a- I know, because I've done two shows there. <laughs> <laughs> Uh-huh. No, I looked at the end because I thought uh, when they when they left the house lights, I was like, that doesn't look like any Broadway show. Yeah, and where was it? In LA. I think they said it was uh, at the Amundsen. Not the Amundsen. Yeah, yeah. Not the Marquee. No, it looked like it was at some like... It's not there, but maybe it was. They filmed it on the tour. tour. Yeah, I think they filmed it on the tour. I think uh, according to the credits, it was some theater in Jersey somewhere. So here's oh. what we're saying, listeners. Oh, I have no idea what I'm talking about. Thank <laughs> <laughs> you so much. <laughs> I thought they filmed it in LA. Who knows? Great. Who cares? They filmed it somewhere. We all get to see it. I don't know where it is. Yeah, uh, there, there it is. Uh, I, I mean, I agree with everybody. I thought this was fantastic. This was my like. This was just. I've been wanting to watch this for a while, but I haven't. Brian, they filmed it at NJ Pack. Oh, they did. Oh. In Newark. Oh, so you all thought it was California and ganged up on me. I did I not. it real on the East Coast. <laughs> <laughs> it was at um, Paper Mill Playhouse, right? That's what I <laughs> <laughs> Shut yeah, it down. I thought this was super great. I think it, I, I've always thought John Leguizamo is amazing. I mean, he's a great actor. I think he might be the best actor in Moulin Rouge because there's moments in Moulin Rouge where he is spellbindingly good, like mm-hmm. almost too good of acting for that movie. Not that I'm saying it's bad. I love that movie, but like that's not like a high drama, like like intense, like like movie acting. It's more like dramatized and like big musical, like. But he's doing like legit, like when he cries and sings that one. It's amazing. So I always thought he was really incredible in Moulin Rouge, but like this show shows how smart he is as a writer. Because mm-hmm. the, not even just it, that it, it flows perfectly. It's funny. There were multiple moments where I was cracking up and the next second, like mid laugh, I was like choking on tears. Cause like, it just felt so visceral what like, he was talking about. Um, I think that's great, but it's also brilliant to see, he knows who his audience is mm-hmm. and he is specifically doing like the beginning of the show. He does a lot of like clowning kind of and shock kind of like stuff to almost be like the cool teacher or the cool uncle. Like he's like trying to get in with the kids to be like, Hey, I am one of you. Like I was a hood kid. Like I, I know exactly who you are. So like, this isn't a theater where you have to like, like, I know you've put a wall up against me because like we're in a theater and you're like, what is this crap? But like, 
I know who you are. So he breaks that wall immediately. And then once he does that and gets their camaraderie, he teaches them something. I think that's such a really visceral, beautiful moment. And he's never talking down to people. He's never patronizing with his information while he's also packing in a lot of information. He's just so passionate for people to know this. It vacillates like very easily between lecture and like show. Yeah. Like effortlessly. It's so smart. Um, And like, I just, I wanted to start by asking Aaron a question because this show, a lot of what he's talking about to his audience is about like a lot of how representation matters. I mean, that's a very, he specifically flat out says it in Mm -hmm. the the show about like seeing someone who's like, Hey, I could do that kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. And a lot of this is, it's not even just representation in like entertainment and theater. This is representation in history. Mm -hmm. But like, how did you experience this? Like, like this same experience being from uh, like a, a minority to like knowing exactly how this feels, like how he addresses it to people. Oh, it's wonderful. It's fantastic. I wish it didn't take a, not he, cause he's Colombian and Puerto Rican. So he's, but it, I wish it didn't take a person of Latin origin to tell the story, but it does because we are in the world that we live in. Um, but I'm grateful that this exists for people to learn it because it's on top of it being like, it's the best Ted talk there is like, oh, it's so it's, it, it's entertaining, but also educational, if not more that than the other it's, I mean, and, 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 and because a lot of the Philippine, a lot of the Philippine history is the same way. A lot of the, a lot of the East East Asian history is the same way. Like we're, the Philippines is named for King Philip, who he talks about in this show. Like, and the indigenous people were closer to the Malay and the Chinese in the Philippines. And we have, it's, there's a reason why our culture is very Spanish based. Like, yeah. it's, and it's all of this stuff that I'm just like, oh, okay. Yeah, I'm glad that, like, there's a lot of history that exists in the world that isn't Eurocentric. And I think only in recent years and recent decades are we finally getting to learn that there is more than just what we're taught in school. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I remember learning in like sixth grade when we were learning about the Mayans and the Incas and they were like, and then they just disappeared and no one knows how or why. (laughs) Yeah, I remember that. Excuse me. (laughs) (laughs) But I like remember being told that it was this great mystery how these millions of people disappeared. Yeah, and I was just like, the bro so angry yeah. watching this, like yeah. oh. the Mayans, the Incas, <laughs> and Atlantis. Yeah, <laughs> it's just fun. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I also wanted to bring up uh, to Haley and Kimberly in this show. He actually, mm-hmm. toward the end, brings up how his daughter was like you're just now telling the male perspective of Latino culture. Like, mm-hmm. what about like the female perspective? And he was like, oh no, I have to go research again. And then he says, I think he says his son said to him, they don't want you to tell their story. Like, I thought that was a really amazing kind of like he's setting a, like a fire for somebody in the audience to maybe like, yeah, I'm going to do that. Like, did you, like, like that he did that nod, the way that he handled all of that about, like, how he acknowledged it was just the male perspective of this? 
Yeah, I will say from a storytelling perspective of his script, that part came immediately after he did mention what women did in the Revolutionary War. It was right after he said that right. the women sold their jewelry. And he was like, oh, I'm not telling. And I was like, you just gave an example. <laughs> <laughs> You're fine. <laughs> um, but other than that, I was like, I mean, it was also like such a teenage girl thing to like yell at their dad for being misogynistic. <laughs> I love that he said that then she put back on her, her like head, like her headphones with her like misogynistic rap album. <laughs> it was yeah. just enough comment on it as He's well right. as him being like, I am like a comment of just like, I was able to tell this portion of this story to my mm-hmm. son. It would be a completely different show if he was trying to do it to a daughter. Cause it would also be like, what are girls? <laughs> yeah. He's a smart, he's a smart human, a smart man. Um, I appreciated the nod. I would have never thought I needed it. And then when he brought it up, I was like, that was very kind. So. Yeah. Yeah, I, I thought that was a really lovely nuance to add that moment in to acknowledge like his shortcomings in the story that he's even telling. Like I thought that was uh, yeah, not even like shortcomings, but I just mean like yeah, I thought this was a warning to anyone listening to a history lesson that like whoever is telling you it is going to tell it from a perspective that they understand. Yes. So that's sort of how I took it. It's just like oh, we should all be asking our own questions. What, for everybody, I want you all to think about this because I'm going to go to each of you. What was the biggest, like, laugh out loud moment that you remember from the show? If I had to, like, put you down to it. Oh, God. Mine is, uh, so something that I'll say, well, before I get to my thing and I'll give everyone some time to think, what I will say is I think something that was impressive about this is that it's predictable in its, um, not the content and the information, but the structure of it. Like at the end, you know, the son is going to have some realization and it's either going to be he's his own hero or his dad's his hero by trying to find a hero from that. You knew something like that was going to happen at the end. Um, and I think intertwining that with kind of, if you will, lowest like common denominator types of humor. Um, some of it I didn't love. Some of it I, I did love. You know, there's a lot of, um, he does everybody, but there's a ton of like stereotypical voices uh, strewn throughout. Um, and, but what I will say, um, and again, that take that for however you will. Um, but something that I will say is the fact that the costuming department put him in the black pants so that he can touch himself with the chalk is truly like, it's just like, to me, all the different things coming together to execute that joke really tickled me. Yeah. And the hair. <laughs> oh, and the hair. Mm-hmm. And the, I look more like Frederick Douglass than that was very funny too. <laughs> that was really good. That was really good. I have a moment, I'm, I'm looking at my notes. Um, the music section, when he's talking about how everyone stole their music <laughs> and he's doing all the different dances with all the different music. I just loved that. And I thought it was fun and it was fun to see him um, dance all the different things and um, to you always know where that music comes from but to just to see it all in one I was like oh yep I just thought that was fun, fun and smart uh, Kimberly I don't remember as I said I was watching this while I was doing work and I am famously to my husband someone who does not laugh when they are alone and so I don't know that I laughed out loud at all, but I did acknowledge that it was very funny throughout. 
because I'm crazy. Aaron, you have a moment? I feel like it was somewhere in the part where he didn't have pants on. Oh, oh, yeah. I don't remember exactly what happened other than the fact that he didn't have pants on. So I'm going to go with the part where he didn't have pants on. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, Robbie? I, I couldn't name a part. It was so, like, organically built of such a whole that I couldn't name one singular piece that was like, that's the reason you need it. The 90 minutes is the reason you need it. Yeah. Yeah. I would just throw in there that the one moment that I think was so brilliant in this, that was so perfect comic timing wise, because it was that perfection moment that it was actual real life comic timing that like you couldn't recreate if you tried was when he asked if everybody knew when he brought up the sheep. Oh, yes. And when it was like one, two, three of silence. And then somebody in the audience just went, Bah. Yes. <laughs> that was so good. To that, like everything about that is so organic that you know that that was like you can't that will never happen again in a different performance. Like, yeah, he would just say the shocking answer, and that's the joke. Yeah, but the way that that played out, I just was like, I couldn't stop laughing. I was like, that was so. Good. That was very good. That was really awesome. Ah, oh, that was so good. Um. Okay, so for this one, uh, final thought. Loved it. Uh, yeah. Loved yeah. It. Yeah, it's a perfect 90 minutes. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Oh, before we do final thoughts, real quick, I just wanted to dive into this because Brian brought it up. Um, th- he does do a lot of voices and a lot of, like, characters and, like, a lot of stereotypes. Um, I noticed just because it's a stereotype of someone like me that, like, the Montezuma section, when he it's, like, a flamboyant gay character and when he did, like, the shirt tie... Like, do we think that that was, like, part of the comedy that was fine? He was just being silly? Or do we think that was, like, borderline? Did anybody have any thoughts about that? Did it strike you when watching it? It did strike me when watching it because, it to me, it just felt like a voice he was putting on as opposed to actually, like tying into that the character and that's that goes for a lot of those it definitely stood out because of the point of this was to normalize certain cultures for what they actually are and um that some of that just fell off to me but like i may not be the right person or the right color person to like be commenting on that but like that's definitely what i thought on the other hand something that surprised me in a in a weird way is that when he did the impression of the indian man um, he chose to make him a doctor and not a 7-Eleven worker. And typically that joke would have been, I'm a 7-Eleven worker, put down mm-hmm. a magazine. Mm-hmm. But he was like, drop your pants because the Indian man's a doctor. I That's like a weird, I had a weird feeling inside because the push and the pull, it's like, cool. He did the same kind of lowest common denominator joke, but he did it in a very like, like this, these are, we are all educated people type of way. So mm-hmm. it was a, it was a weird push and pull with me. Um, internally with kind of the usage of that. But I understand why he deployed it to engage that younger audience and and go in. I don't, you can argue one way or the other if it was right. the right thing to do, but like, that's kind of how I saw it. That's what I was thinking is I, I totally feel like that was a play to like get the younger audience to get in there and laugh. And at first I was like, there was a part of me that was like, he's using like flamboyantly gay as a negative character trait to be a bad character in history. And like, at first I was like, like a little put off by that. But then I realized that like, 
He's also just introducing people to a wide variety of people. And he also is like kind of like one of those comedians that if you like through the whole arc of the thing, he kind of pokes fun at everyone. Mm-hmm. And like, if you also like a lot of the material, he's making fun of his own culture and like, like poking fun at like that as well. Like he's, he makes fun of his kids. Like he makes fun of his wife. So like then I was like in that grand scheme, I was like, he's more like Elise Lampanelli in this moment where it's like, he's not, I guarantee you that like, he's not like, he has weird feelings about gay people or anything like that. Like yeah. it's, it's a hundred percent. He's just doing the grand spectrum. So maybe this is the first time that they're seeing a gay character in a way that's like, they're not like, so yeah. when you, when you do these things with multiple characters, but you're one person, you have like 30 seconds to quickly delineate mm-hmm. who and what they are. And he's definitely falling back on like his Chi Chi uh, character from Tu Wong Fu. Like, yeah. mm-hmm. Because that lives in his yeah. back pocket and it's really yeah. quick to grab. Sure. Yeah. I didn't see any clown from Spawn, but... Weird. I don't know what that means. But yeah, it's, it, this was... I love this. I thought this was brilliant. I think he's brilliant. And I'm so glad that they captured this moment of Broadway history. So that even though it wasn't on Broadway, but when they filmed it, but you know what I mean? Like that we captured yeah. this moment of yeah. American theater history. Yeah. Good one. Yeah, yeah this is a really so, good one. What do we think is the Rotten Tomatoes score for this one? Uh, we'll start with Brian. I'm, I'm going to go like 97%. I think this is very high. Um, yeah. 98. Kimberly, 98. Robbie? 92. Uh, I'm going to say 95. Haley? Oh, I said 98. Oh, 98. Sorry. And uh, Aaron? 100. Aaron wins. It's a 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. Nice. Good for you. I love watching Ryan roll his eyes because he's convinced that I cheat. 100%. I think he looks and he picks and chooses. You're right every time. (laughs) The shade of it all. The shade. I only went so low because I read the Isherwood review that was like, you know, like condescending it? and super. Uh, he liked it with reservation. Hmm. Okay, fine. So, thanks, Charles. Uh, all right, guys. Yeah, so thanks, Chuck. This is the point in the episode where, uh, if you are a Patreon uh, patronus, then you will be moving on with us into the next movie that we watched, which was uh, Reefer Madness. So we talked about that. And if not, you're listening to this on the podcast feed. We love you. And you will be going straight to our rankings of the films where we will be including the Patreon film Reefer Madness as well. Okay, so this was super fun. Thank you for going down uh, history lane with me this week. Um, Let's go ahead and go around in a circle and rank our movies. So we're ranking one, two, three, four, where one is the best, four is the least best. Um... And the movies we're ranking are First You Dream, The Music of Candor Ebb, Grief for Madness, Hello Again, and Latin History for Morons. And we'll start with Mr. Roselle. Oh, um, I would go Latin History for Morons, Hello Again, First You Dream, and then I would take a lunch break and Grief for Madness. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Um, Aaron? I would say his, uh, History for Morons. I think after that, I'd say Reef for Madness. 
And then I'd say, first you dream. And then I'd say, is that, oh yeah, and then, and then hello again. Oh, okay. Uh, Haley? That is exactly mine. Exactly mine. Latin history, one, first place. Reefer Madness, two. First you dream, third. Hello again, fourth. Kimberly? I will just switch the third and fourths on you guys because it was just a concert. And so I'm going to put the movie above a concert. Fair. Okay. Hello, three. Uh, Brian? I feel the same way as Kimberly. Um, I Honestly, I watched First You Dream in the background and only paid attention here and there. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's just, it's a, they're all wonderful, but it's just, a, it's just a film concert in my opinion. So that's, um, that's fourth. Um, then I went Hello Again, third, Latin two, and Reefer Badness one. I just had a blast. Wow. Oh, nice. It's the correct ranking is wait can we guess can we guess fade button sure hello again hello again hello again is number one because it is brilliant reefer madness Madness no i'm gonna say latin two latin is two okay reefer Mm -hmm. madness three Mm -hmm. first First dream. dream correct the first year is amazing but i agree with kimberly because there's no plot line to follow. It was just a beautiful concert. But don't you wish we had seen the whole thing though? Yes, I do. It, it really did feel short. And, and I, yeah. I, when it was over, I was like, oh, that's it. Like, I felt like I didn't hear like the Candor and Ebb songs. Not that that was the So point, many of them. But yeah. Because so many of them were already in And the World Goes Round. Right, sure. Uh, they just put these on PBS. Yeah. yeah. No, it worked out. Um, but still, I liked it better than Reaper Madness. Next week, we'll watch Hello Again Again until you guys see it. Oh, oh, oh. oh God. <laughs> Goodbye again. <laughs> <laughs> Haley will no longer be joining us. <laughs> um, but of course, we, we also need to talk about hashish, cocaine, marijuana, opium, LSD, DMT, STP, BLT, A&P, IRT, APC, alcohol, cigarette, oh, shoe God. polish, Cough, cough syrup, peyote, equinol, dexamil, campesine, chemadrine, thorazine, trilofan, uh, dexadrine, benzadrine, methadrine, SEX, and YOU. Wow. That's hair. That yes, hair. it's hair. I Real fast. I performed that song at nine years old in at the Cleveland Playhouse. I was at a summer camp there. And we had an MFA directing student at like a theater who came to be like the director of the summer program. And she put together a uh, musical theater review called Hello Life. And this number, she had all of us nine through 14 year olds uh, with black shrouds over us dancing like this. So you just saw the shrouds and sang all these drug songs or the drugs. And while I was learning it with my friends in my apart, like my house with my parents when I was nine, my mom came in the room and she was like, what are you talking about? And I was like, wow. oh, mom, we're doing hair. And she's like, I know what hair is. Like, why do you at nine years old know what hair is? That is wild, but not as wild as your ranking where you put Reefer Madness. <laughs> <laughs> or hello again. Hello again. Well, also, thanks. real quick, sorry. Watch the trailer of Hello Again on Amazon because it's, one, it's incredible. That's all I'm going to say. Okay. I watched the movie already. I'm good. <laughs> um, well, thank you all so much for joining us, Robbie, especially. Thank you for hanging around for our marathon recording sessions of these bad you boys. You know I love to spend 37 hours with you guys. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
but again, hello again and goodbye. Thank you so much. Um, but um, you can, of course, follow us at Broad Wasted on all social media. Um, you can find join our Facebook group. Kevin's doing some fun things there. Um, Patreon, um, that's where you can hear about our conversation about Reefer Madness um, and a ton more content there. Um, so become a patron there. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, all that stuff. Rate and review us. Five, Five stars, stars, please. And um, thank you. But again, Aaron, Haley, and Robbie, thank you so much for joining us. I believe next week is Haley's uh, choice. Um, so stay tuned uh, in our Twitter feed um, to find out what we're watching next week. Uh, Haley will be leading that. Um, but again, thank you all so much for joining us. We hope you all stay healthy and safe out there. Kevin, what a wonderful week. Thank you so much. Um, yeah. Great job hosting. Um, but uh, as we end every episode, we raise our glasses and we say... Cheers. Cheers. That wasn't terrible. That was a better one than we usually do. I finished my drink when you started talking. (laughs) (laughs) At the beginning? Yeah, Yeah, when this started. Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Gapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.